First thing to tell you is we've got some cool things to give away here. No, this is just handing out in grace apart from works. So these are made for the glass of your car. These are outdoor glass decals for your car. We've got Philippians 3.9 and the church icon. Yeah, of course, anything's removable on glass if you've got a razor, razor blade. So uh, I would only ask that they only go on cars and only one per car. So let's spread the love, okay? So I'm putting this one on my car, and my wife's putting this one on her van. And uh, it's, a big, it's a white square, and we're going to cut ours out so that way it's just the circle instead of a big white square. So if you want to customize it, you can. But uh, these are available. If you don't know what Philippians 3.9 is, then you're not really a Christian. <clears throat> I'm just a, my spiritual gift is making people feel bad, so. <laughs> so, anyway, 1 Peter chapter 1, open your Bibles, we'll get back into it, 1 Peter 1. And I will give... 10 million bonus points to anyone who can recite the summary statement of 1 Peter verses 1 to 3 that we've been looking at, really verses 1 to 2. That starts with, the Father in eternity past. If anybody can recite that summary sentence from memory, 10 million bonus points. <laughs> no, from memory, from memory. It's, I don't really even have it memorized, so it's no big deal. Uh, you think, what? Oh. Is that better? Okay. <clears throat> the Father in eternity past chose His people to be saved and sanctified as exiles on earth in obedience to Jesus Christ through the Spirit's application of His redemptive work. It's a fun sentence. I like that sentence. But uh, we're not going to review that every time. I just thought I'd throw that out there and see if any of you great students memorized it. Whatever. <laughs> well, St Stacy, you get 300 bonus points. Yeah, and you were the closest on trying to repeat it. So there you go. 300 bonus points to Stacy. Well, here's what I want us to do tonight. <clears throat> I hope tonight we'll make it through verse 9, but I would like for us to read verses 3 through 12 as a whole. Uh, that's the section all kind of goes together. So would someone like to read loudly and slowly 1 Peter 1, 3 to 12? Who can do that for us? Go ahead, Carrie. All right. So much said about our salvation in these verses. Um, it's really important that we grasp what's being said in these verses. So this week and next week, we're going to cover uh, these. Because as we get into the imperatives, the commands that follow, you see what verse 13 starts with? What's the first word of verse 13? Therefore. So if you don't have a grasp on 3 to 12, you don't have the basis for what starts in verse 13. Okay, so that's going to be our focus for the next two weeks is 3 to 12 and really <clears throat> uh, making sure we have a grasp on that. Now, last week, we covered verses 3 to 5, um, mainly verse 3. We didn't get into as much detail as I would have liked in verses 4 and 5. But, but Peter has us focusing here on our salvation, both present and future. And can someone explain to me the difference between present salvation and future salvation? What what is the difference between these two concepts? <laughs> yeah, uh, sin will be no more. We will be like Him. We will see Him as He is. Yeah, and for right now, <clears throat> we are reckoned holy. 
We are reckoned as saints. That's mean, the word means holy ones. We are in Christ, and yet positionally, we are reckoned as righteous. Uh, we've been given a new nature. And what does verse 3 says that God has caused us to be? Born again. We're new. However, we know that this isn't it. We haven't arrived at the end of our salvation. We haven't received the fullness of our inheritance, have we? So that, if that were the case... Boy, that's pretty rough, uh, if this is it. <laughs> However, if there's an inheritance coming, if there's more to look forward to, uh, as uh, Joseph used that great word that we see throughout the New Testament, glorification, a glorification coming, that is a future event, and that's what we mean when we talk about future salvation. So what Peter's doing in this section is not just talking about our present salvation, but also our future salvation. You see in verse 4, He's talking about how this inheritance that's in heaven is being kept for us, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. So we're praising God for what He has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has caused us, past tense, to be born again. Yet in the present, He's guarding our inheritance that will be revealed for us in the future. So past, present, future, we see salvation being referred to here. And this is a personal salvation for each one of us, isn't it? This isn't just like a general term that's thrown out there for all of humanity or for even just it's a general salvation for everybody who's in church or anything like that. Yes, you are saved and put into a body, but this happens on an individual level. He has caused us all individually to be born again. We are all individually new creatures, and we come together as God's temple. We come together as His church. It's on the basis of His foreknowledge, it's on the basis of His mercy that He has done this. And when He caused us to be born again, we each individually received a new nature. And that's going to be a big part of the basis for what happens in verse 13 and following, when He says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Why can you prepare your mind for action? Because you've been born again. You've been given a new nature. You've been placed in a body. And here you are together as God's people with a common salvation not just for the present, but for the future. And so we're praising God for what He has done, and we're praising God for what He will do, which is reveal our salvation. Uh, again, verse 4, we've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that's here, yes, but also ready to be revealed in the last time, a salvation that will be revealed. When it talks about our inheritance in verse 4, what do you think Peter has in mind? When he says, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection to an inheritance. What's that inheritance, do you think? Well, I mean, potentially, depending on what you mean by that. Okay, yeah, these are all good answers. Yeah, it's really our share in the sinless, glorified state, which will ultimately be revealed in the, the last two chapters of the Bible, the last two chapters of Revelation. What's that called? What, what does God do at the very end? He makes a new and a new earth. So really, if we want to look all the way down, it's our share in the new heaven and new earth. Because who's going to be living in that world? You'll have the Lord there, of course, but who will be there? Believers, the saints, that's right. So our inheritance, really, yeah, it's in heaven when we die, and we have all these other events that take place leading up to a new heaven and new earth where we're walking around glorifying God in a sinless, perfect environment, sharing in that wonderful glory. Isn't that just something to look forward to? And isn't that so much better than this is all you get? You get saved here on earth, and, and you get to enjoy your saved time on earth, and that's it. Then you die. Now, there is amazing stuff that the Lord does here and now, but we also have to think big picture. Our inheritance is in heaven, it says, being kept for us, ready to be revealed in the last time. And who, it says, um, who's got the New American Standard uh, with them? Stacey, can you read verses 4 and 5 in New American Standard? 
All right, so NASB says reserved in heaven for you, verse 4. ESV says kept in heaven for you. Who made that reservation? You guys have placed reservations. Remember before COVID when you had to call places and make a reservation? Well, I guess in COVID you have to do that more. Uh, but uh, calling and making a reservation, reserving your spot, that's something you, know, you do when you go out to eat and you're actively doing it. Well, here we're in the passive, aren't we? And we've already learned just in these first few verses that it's God who has foreknown us and chosen us and caused us to be born again. And He's the one who has reserved this inheritance for us. And in verse 5, who is guarding whom in verse 5? Who's protecting whom? Yeah, God is actively protecting us. We're being held in His hand. He's protecting us. We're not protecting anything of ourselves. God's protecting us. And it's through what that God protects us? Through what that His power is being revealed? Faith, through faith. And what's an amazing thought is that faith is for this life only. Because in the next life, there is no faith. In heaven, there is no faith. What do we have instead of faith? <laughs> yeah, we see them. Our faith is turned to sight, right? And so now, in this present salvation, through faith, God is guarding us. In the future salvation, there is no faith. There's sight. And we have our inheritance. But right now, we're looking forward to our inheritance, walking by faith, and God's power is revealed through faith. Who, who knows Romans 1, 16 and 17 off the top of their head? You should, you should. For I am not, this is Romans. We're not doing very good being in unison here. Yeah, <laughs> we've got four people on different words and different translations. <laughs> For I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel, because it's what? power of God to salvation for all who believe. To who first, and then who second? Jew first, and then to the Greek. Because it says in Scripture, what about faith? Do you remember verse 17? Finger here, go back to Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. And let's look at verses 16 and 17. Have someone read it for us. <clears throat> Romans 1, 16 and 17. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So you see here the same concepts of God's power and salvation and faith and how these things work together. The gospel, according to Romans 1, 16, is God's power. And we have access to the gospel, we have access to God, and His power is revealed in salvation through faith, through faith. And it's not just in that moment when you first believe, but as you go on living your life as a saved person here on earth, we are being guarded, it says in 1 Peter 1.5, by God's power through faith for our salvation. So we initially receive salvation through faith, and it does happen in a moment, and you are born again in a moment. And then as we're living this life toward our future salvation, we're being protected and guarded through faith. It's all by faith and through faith. Isn't that an amazing thought? There's another passage I want to cross-reference this with, and it's just a couple books back. It's the book of Titus. So go, start going to your left a little bit, and you'll see the book of Hebrews. When you hit Hebrews, slow down because it's just two books in front of Hebrews. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Who would read these for us? Next one, 15, too. All 
All right, so Titus was given that encouragement from Paul. The grace of God has appeared, it says in verse 11. And what has it brought to us in the present? Salvation. So that we would be a holy people, you see that in verse 12. And what else are we doing, verse 13? Waiting. So salvation has come, but we're also waiting. We're in between, right? This is the theme you see over and over again in the New Testament. We are those who have been redeemed, and so already that has happened. But we're also waiting to be redeemed, aren't we? It has not yet happened. It's an already not yet. So much in Scripture is already not yet. We've already been redeemed, and yet we're waiting for our blessed hope. In one sense, our blessed hope has come. Jesus has come, and we have Him in our hearts. And in another sense, we're waiting for Him because there will be an appearing of the glory of our great, notice it says, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who's going to appear? God Himself. Jesus is God, isn't He? Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And He gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. So we live this way now as a set-apart people because our eyes are fixed on Jesus who has redeemed us, the one who's coming back to uh, reveal our salvation in the last time. And that's Peter's focus, is salvation has come and salvation is coming. Thoughts or questions before we get into verse 6? Mark. Yeah, good. What else? Okay, cool, good. Well, let's jump into verse 6. We're going to see more here in verses 6 through 9 that faith is the means. Uh, Faith is the means of our salvation. Faith is the means of our protection. And we're going to see that the outcome is glory, praise and honor and glory. And this is really good for our perspective as we consider what Peter has to say. This is so extremely relevant. You know, I said this in our opening lesson a couple weeks ago. Of course, all of the Bible is always relevant. But there are some letters that hit harder than others at certain times because of what you're going through personally, what you're going through as a culture or whatever. And boy, this, this hits pretty hard, okay? This hits close to home. It's going to be really good for our perspective on things like security, what that means, and how we should feel that. Our perspective on wealth, our perspective on joy. It's going to touch those things, okay? So let's see it together. Let's read it again, verses 6 through 9. Would someone read that for us? 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. Go ahead. Man, these verses are so good. Each one of them is just like a really decadent treat. (laughs) Just so good. Um, You know, starting here in verse 6, isn't it amazing that they were able to rejoice and be distressed at the same time? (laughs) In this you rejoice, though you have been grieved by various trials. They were able to both rejoice and be distressed at the same time. Um, I, I think that's just an amazing thing that God does in the lives of His people. And uh, let's see, we'll do this one first. Um, we'll fill in the blank on this one. In light of that reality, we have to say that suffering cannot prevent joy, can it? And I, think, I know we know this as Christians cognitively, but when you live through that and when you feel joy in the midst of suffering, That's an amazing thing that God does in the life of one of His children. That we would be able to feel both the weight of a fallen world, a sinful world that's full of all things that they shouldn't be that way, and we're personally affected by it, and we personally contribute to it. And at the same time, we feel this bit of heaven. At the the exact same time, 
we feel the joy of God. Now, how amazing is that? What better way to understand the already not yet of our salvation than that? Because we know in heaven, that first part won't be there. Suffering won't be there. It'll just be joy. And here we feel both because we're dual citizens, aren't we? Citizens of this fallen place working our way through because our true citizenship is in heaven. That's right. Yes, that's exactly right. We're in the world, not of it. And we feel that. And these believers that Peter was writing to, remember they're in Asia Minor. They've, they've fled because of persecution. And they've found themselves in Asia Minor. And he says to them, uh, there again in verse 6, For a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So there are some necessary various trials that they're going through. And this covers so many things. That word for various means multicolored. It, it means just all kinds of stuff. It's not just, uh, you know, the specific persecution that they went under or the majority of them went under, but it's various trials. It's not like when they fled Rome or wherever they were that they got away from all their trials. When they got to Asia Minor, there were trials waiting for them there too. And some of them were tiny and some of them were big. And we know this. We go through this in our lives. And... I love how Peter says about these trials, not just that they're necessary, but how long do they last? <laughs> a little while. <laughs> what perspective, right? They never feel like they're going on for a little while. <laughs> they always feel like the biggest thing in the world and that they're just never going away. But our perspective needs to be, as people who are waiting for our salvation to be revealed in the last time, this is just a little while. It's just a little while. And they are necessary. Why do, you, why do you think Peter throws that in there, if necessary? What's necessary about these? What makes them necessary? And there are a few answers to this. I don't think there's just one answer. By? So the source of these trials is? <laughs> there you go. And he's the ultimate necessary, right? I mean, he's the capital N necessary. Yes. Right. Beating us into submission, as it were. <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. Uh, which one of you fathers has a child that you love and you don't discipline them? God loves His children and you will receive discipline. Yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, it made me think of Ephesians 1.11 when you said his purpose, Mark. Um, in Ephesians 1, Paul says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Even our trials. His purpose, the counsel of his will. So, yeah, and to Andy's point, Peter's going right into that testing thing, that refining thing. Um, Rex, was that the NIV that you were reading from? Because it said refine, refine, refining of your faith, I think, in verse, uh, verse 6, or verse 7, rather, so that, the, yeah, yeah, I like that. And, and as I was studying this today, I, the old song came into my mind that we used to sing in youth group. Refiner's Fire, you guys know that song? <laughs> Refiner's Fire, my heart's one desire is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. Hmm. I choose to be holy, set apart for you, my master, ready to do your will. Great song. Um, and that's the idea that's found here is that God is taking us through these things, refining us, that we would be set apart for Him. It talks about the testing of our faith. And, and what happens in that refining process when... Faith goes through the fire, so to speak. When we're tested by God's fire, our faith is tested by God's fire. What's actually taking place? Diana. Yes. Produces endurance. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. 
Yes, the result, when we come out the other side of a trial that God is using to strengthen our faith, we're going to be people who endure because we just endured that. And so he's building our character, producing hope. And I can actually give you um, this one at the top. This is applicable. Trials don't destroy faith. They purify it. So trials don't destroy faith. The trials purify our faith. And, and how, do, how do trials purify faith? What, what are the trials doing to our faith that makes it a faith that endures? What are those trials doing? Resistance training, yeah. Building, building muscle, so to speak. Yeah. When you think of um, refining gold, which uh, Peter alludes to here, and the purifying of gold, what happens to the gold that makes it purer on the other side after the refining process? What's the refining process doing to the gold? Yeah, it's removing those impurities. And when you go through a trial as a Christian, what God's actually doing is taking, taking you and your faith and stripping away, burning away that which isn't faith. And we've known people, we know people right now who are going through things, who are saying the Lord's showing us things. He's showing us things that have been mixed in with our faith. He's showing us things that have... Uh, that we've let hang around for years, and he's removing those things. And they're going to come out the other side with a faith that's tested, purer, a faith that's stronger, ready to endure, because those things have been stripped away. Yeah, Diana. I think it causes us to He probably has a few illustrations of trust with horses. <laughs> Go ahead. Amen. Yeah, he lifts up the head of the contrite and the humble, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, look at um, verse 7. When it talks about our faith, what do we discover about the quality of our faith? What comparison does Peter draw, and what does he say in verse 7 about the quality of our faith? More precious than gold. Hmm. Now that's quite a statement. Your faith is more precious than gold. Think of how the world treats gold and wealth and money. This is Peter effectively saying that your faith is more valuable, it's more precious than Jeff Bezos' $200 billion net worth. I checked that, by the way, $200 billion. Your faith is more precious than that. Now, do you believe that? Because a lot of Christians who say they have faith 
still pursue the things of this world and still regard gold and wealth as more valuable. But Scripture's correcting you. Your faith is more precious than that. You're the richest person alive if you're in Christ. If you've been united to Christ by faith, you've got all the riches there are. Not just the riches of faith as it's considered in comparison to gold here, but the riches of the grace of God have been poured out on you. You're the richest person that there is. So think about that. More precious than gold. Wow. And he says, he tags on there, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. That gold perishes. How is gold perishable? I, I had to ponder this one for a while. Okay, yeah. It gets burned up in the end. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I love both of those thoughts. And so well, let's go with both of those. The first one, as Stacy said, in the end, it's going to get burned up. This is Peter's second letter, and we can, I think we've got enough time. We can glance over there real quick. Just turn to the next book. Look at chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3. Let's look at verses 8 through 13. Would someone read 8 to 13? These are some exciting verses. Lots of fireworks here. Go ahead, Logan. Right, so there will be a great regeneration of all things, where things will be dissolved, they will be melted, they will be burned. Do you think that people's dollars and cents and their gold and their silver are going to make it through so that in the new heaven and new earth we'll go around picking up all the leftover gold and silver? All the things of this world are going to melt away, going to dissolve even gold. And so ultimately, that has to be what Peter has in view here, that gold perishes, meaning you're not going to take it with you into your inheritance. It perishes. Now, what's interesting about faith is that, as I was just saying a few moments ago, faith is just for now. Faith doesn't exist where there's sight, right? We don't see and we believe. And our faith will be turned to sight. And that's Andy's point uh, in his comment talking about how there will be a transformation taking place of our faith. We carry our faith through this life, and then there's a transformation when we see Him face to face. And so when you think about the outcome of these things, what's the end of gold that dissolves? What's the end of faith? Seeing Him face to face. (laughs) So our faith is much more precious than gold that perishes, even though it is tested by fire. The end of our faith is transformation to sight. We will behold the substance of our faith. We will behold Jesus Himself. And no man can take it away. People can take other people's gold. It happens all the time. People's wealth. People get robbed in so many different ways. They get mugged on the street with you know, a, a plastic gun that someone doesn't know is plastic and they cough over their money and someone took their, their gold. Uh, it could be through some really amazing Ponzi scheme. You think of, uh, who's the guy who just died? Uh, Madoff? Bernie Madoff? Okay, boy. He took other people's gold. But no one can take your faith. It's been given to you and it's being protected and guarded until the last day. God's using it in your life, to display His power in your salvation. And no one can take that away, and it won't vanish like gold does. And on the way to our transforming moment where we see Jesus face-to-face, that faith gets tested over and over again by trials. It goes through flames. It goes through a purifying process, a refining process, where that which is not of faith melts away. And God is displaying His power of protection through it all. 
Isn't that just so cool? Any thoughts or questions on, on that? Yeah, uh, the Bema Seat Judgment. So you get Second Corinthians 5.10 and Romans 14.10. All Christians will stand before the seat of Christ. So how, what's, your, what's your connection there? What, what are you thinking in your head? Connect the thoughts there. Yeah, First Corinthians 3. The passage that talks about that I didn't mention. Yeah, right. Yeah, we went through this in the sermon series. Boy, when were we in chapter 3? Seven years ago? Uh, <laughs> no, chapter 3. Uh, yeah, we're going to face the Lord, and there will be things that are burned away. And only that which is done from faith will remain of our works. And there will be rewards given um, for the believer, right? Now, that's not a judgment of condemnation, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But there is testing. There is purifying. There is refining. There is fire. (laughs) But it's not a fire that leads to (laughs) <laughs> there's not a fire that, that uh, is eternal and conscious uh, with torment, okay? There's a fire for our works, okay? There's a fire uh, that our faith goes through in this life, and then when we're judged that our works will go through, and only what's done from faith in Christ will last. Absolutely. So yeah, just as we're going through it in this life in various ways, in the end it'll be done one final time, that purifying work of God. Good. Yeah, what else? Other thoughts? Okay, well, it says at the end of verse 7 that this faith more precious than gold, tested by fire, will be found to what? Result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So those who have genuine faith that gets tested in this life, they will obviously at the end be giving praise and glory and honor, ascribing these things to God. But it seems to me that this is also, too, kind of what Dean had in mind as this is coming, uh, has in view the revelation of Christ. We're going to share with Him in these things, aren't we? We're co-heirs with Christ. And in the end, this, again, going back to 1 Corinthians 3 about the Christian's judgment, uh, in the end, each man's praise will come from God. Doesn't Scripture say this? So, in the end, there will be a praise that is given to us, not because we are worthy of any kind of praise or worship, but as the works that are done for Christ remain, there is a sharing in the glory as we are co-heirs with Christ. And those who have that faith that's been tested through this life will see and experience this at the revelation of Christ, the revelation of our salvation, the revealing of Jesus Himself. We will have our faith revealed at that time, and we will be rewarded with our inheritance at that time. Verse 4, the inheritance that's being protected. And there will be a sharing in the praise and glory and honor at His revelation. Um, so yeah, I'll give you this last one. It's a good place for it. Our momentary suffering then, we need to view it this way as we consider where this is all going. Our momentary suffering glorifies God. Our momentary suffering glorifies God because what He's doing is... Uh, purifying our faith. And what's the substance of our faith? What's our faith in? Christ, yeah. Our faith through the gospel is in Christ Himself. And so God is getting honor and glory through our momentary suffering, through the testing of our faith. And I love these uh, last two verses that we'll look at tonight, that though we do not see Him now, we believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Um, What we see in verse 8 is that sight and understanding are not prerequisites to faith and love. So, um, I'm surely you've been in some religious conversation before, some evangelistic conversation, and someone will talk about, well, I don't believe in stuff, I don't see it, which is a totally, hmm, what's a word that's church appropriate? Uh, (laughs) bogus answer. Because you know what you can say as soon as someone says, I don't believe in if I can't see it. Oh, you don't believe in time? Or the wind? Or love? Or math? 
Okay? Uh, such. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Or protons and neutrons, okay? I mean, gravity, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's such a ridiculous answer. And we see here that sight is not a prerequisite for faith, is it? We believe, though we do not see Him now, um, and we love even though we don't see Him. We love Him and we believe in Him. Can you think of something Jesus said that was really close to this verse? Yes, good. Gospel of John, after the resurrection, Thomas is known for doubting. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I saw a meme the other day um, from a TV show, but it had one guy talking to another guy, and he said, okay, we have one doubting Thomas, and the guy who was supposed to be Thomas said, well, I was actually an apostle to India, and I did this, I did this, I did this, but if you want to reduce me to the one time I had a lack of faith, that's fine. And the other guy said, okay, one doubter, and <laughs> so funny, Thomas just gets stuck with that label, <laughs> doubting Thomas. Um, but yeah, it was in that moment where Thomas felt the risen Jesus, and he says, my Lord and my God, which is a great statement and a wonderful uh, moment in Scripture. You know, you've believed because you've seen, but blessed are those who, having not seen, still believe. And there's a a guy, I think his name's Robert Gundry. His last name is Gundry. He has a lot of great New Testament resources. And in his First Peter commentary, he sees many parallels in Peter's five chapters here to the teachings of Christ. And this is another one of those parallels where he believes Peter's drawing on those teachings of Christ, um, making reference back to John's gospel and um, what, what is recorded for us there. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and though you do, uh, you do not now see Him, you believe and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Inexpressible. That's interesting. Our joy is inexpressible. <laughs> so if someone were to ask you, um, as a person who has come to know God, which you have, right? And someone asks you, how do you feel about that? Can you express that? <laughs> I don't think you can. Um, not comprehensively. I mean, sure, there are true statements that can come out of our mouths, uh, but we can't comprehensively express this joy that we have. And in human terms, we can't express something that's so supernatural that has affected our souls. In Wayne Grudem's commentary on this, uh, I love that he said that this statement, uh, this joy inexpressible statement, is in reference to the joy of heaven before heaven. That's what we have, the joy of heaven before heaven. And he also made mention of the importance of music and all of this. We just had the benefit of hearing from Mark on Sunday talking about worship uh, through music and how important music is for us. And when we consider joy inexpressible, there's something about music and singing praises to God that helps us express things better, right? Um, it's a, a purely Christian thing, a purely biblical thing that people would come together and have such praise overflowing from their heart. And that gets us a little bit closer to expressible, <laughs> though it's still ultimately inexpressible. And it's full of glory. And the outcome, verse 9, the salvation of our souls. Puts that emphasis on the soul here. It's obviously going to be our bodies, too. We will be resurrected and given a new body. But there's an emphasis placed on the immaterial, something that's not perishable. Like faith. Faith is immaterial. It's not perishable. It can't be stolen. can't be tampered with. Neither can your soul. And our salvation is the salvation of that soul, secure with God. So Peter's big vision for this life is that as we think about the future, let's bring it to bear in the present. The future must be brought to bear on the present because it gives us perspective, right? That trials don't destroy faith, but they're just purifying it on our way to having that faith transformed into sight. 
that our suffering can never prevent our joy because what is our joy? It's inexpressible. It's full of glory. It's supernatural. Suffering is purely in the flesh. It could never prevent our supernatural joy. And our momentary suffering, this is bringing about glory to God. It's momentary. It's just for now. It's just in the flesh. But the glory and honor and praise ascribed to God is forever. So we have to have this renewed perspective if we're going to make it through this life as Christians devoted to Christ. If we get caught up in the thinking that we used to have in the world, that this is all that there is, we will not be living as a set-apart people in the world. We will be living for ourselves and for the flesh. Closing thoughts or questions? Mark. And when God tests our faith, He's drawing us closer, isn't He? So that the next time we're taking learned wisdom <laughs> from what we've gone through, um, and our hearts are just ready to run to Him through the trials. And that's, that's ultimately one of the biggest evidences of a genuine faith. Who does your heart run to when you go through hardships? And God pulls you through. He pulls you through. He pulls you through. This is God's work in us, isn't it? Aren't we so thankful? We're so unworthy. <laughs> and he's so faithful and kind. Go ahead. Just understanding who Jesus is really helps bring the, the craziness of the world to the table. Yeah. Things are going on, but Yeah, good. Because you're just an exile, right? Isn't that our summary statement? <laughs> he has chosen us to be saved and sanctified as exiles on earth. We need to feel that more and more. Because if you start feeling home in the, at home in the world, you're going to lose all perspective. Jeff Bezos is going to look richer than you, and that's not true. Melissa. Absolutely. And we have, as no other time in history, we have resources for singing. <laughs> as no other time in history. At, at each year, we just get more and more resources. It keeps building up. So we need to tap into that resource for sure. And speaking of that, you want to close, Mark, you want to lead us in um, As the Deer? We can pick up our hymnals and just sing an a cappella version. My head all week. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Perfect. And... Uh, and Mark, you want to close us in prayer after that too? And don't forget, we've got stickers up here. After it's all done, get something for your car. One per car. I don't know what number as the deer is, though.